In a world where stories are more than just entertainment, where films captivate our souls and characters become legends, welcome to the show that celebrates the magic of the silver screen, delves into the journeys of storytelling, and ventures into iconic cultural phenomena. Sit back, grab your popcorn, and prepare for a cinematic journey. This is Pop Mythology, the podcast. If I asked you to say the most memorable movie quote you could think of, you might give me this. I am your father. This. There is no place like home. This. this Come with me if you want to live. This. Is looking at you, kid. Or this. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. But if you ask me, I would probably say this. Remember, with great power, great responsibility. And that's because there's just something special about Spider-Man. I was five when Sam Raimi's Spider-Man hit the big screen in 2002, and it has stuck in my head pretty much ever since. And that's the magic of Spider-Man. It sticks to you like, well, a spiderweb. In a world drowning in capes and cowls, let us not forget where it all went. Rewinding back, the early 2000s gave us a film that didn't just set the bar, it swung it. I'm talking Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. From that iconic upside-down smooch to villains with layers deeper than an onion, Spider-Man redefined superhero cinema. In today's retrospective, we'll dive into its historical backdrop, the hurdles and victories of its production, and its enduring influence on both the superhero genre and popular culture. So, if you're a Spidey fan, or just a sucker for a good story, you won't want to miss this. And, if you're eager to take this nostalgic journey with us, please hit that like button, share the love, and if you haven't already, subscribe to Pop Mythology for more deep dives into the movies that make us who we are. Coming soon to own on video and DVD. Ah, the early 2000s. A time when your biggest worry was whether your Tamagotchi would die or if Britney and Justin would ever get back together. A cultural melting pot where the remnants of the 20th century met the burgeoning digital age. It was the time of Napster, the iPod, and the rise of reality TV. The winner of American Idol 2002 is Kelly Clarkson. But in the realm of cinema, a seismic shift was underway. The superhero genre was in a nascent stage, still trying to shake off the campy reputation it had gathered from earlier adaptations. Superhero films were like that of awkward teens in high school, full of potential but not quite there yet. Movies like Blade and X-Men were the cool kids at the party, but the genre was still waiting for its prom king or queen. The genre was ripe for a transformative work, something that could elevate it from niche interest to mainstream phenomenon. But even further, let's rewind back to the 1990s for a moment. Spider-Man, one of the most iconic superheroes, had been the subject of numerous cinematic false starts. James Cameron, the visionary behind Terminator and Titanic, had penned a script that never saw the light of day. Various studios and directors flirted with the idea, but legal battles and creative differences kept the web-slinger confined to the pages of comic books. Enter Sam Raimi, a name that might not have been synonymous with blockbuster cinema at the time, but one that held a certain reverence in the world of filmmaking. Raimi was a storyteller at heart, a man who grew up with a Super 8 camera in his hands, crafting narratives that often defied genre conventions. He was the master of blending horror, humor, and heart, a skill that he honed in his cult classic Evil Dead series. His 1990 film Darkman was an early indicator of his affinity for comic book-style storytelling. But what set Raimi apart was his deep-rooted love for Spider-Man. 
Sam grew up having Spider-Man painted on the wall in his room, which is the, the best kind of a man to take the helm for a movie like that. This wasn't just a job for him. It was a childhood dream coming true. He was a fan, a fan who understood the emotional nuances of Peter Parker and who had dreamt of bringing his iconic character to life on the big screen. He wanted to create a film that was an emotional journey, a journey that delved deep into the psyche of its characters. Like the comic books he had read growing up, Raimi's vision was clear. He aimed to infuse the film with emotional depth, focusing on character development and narrative complexity, qualities often overlooked in the superhero films of that era. Meet Peter Parker, a high school nerd with more problems than a calculus book. Orphaned and living with his Aunt May and Uncle Ben, Peter's life is far from a Marvel comic book, but everything changes during a school field trip to a science lab, where a genetically altered spider decides Peter would make a tasty snack. Suddenly, Peter gains super strength, agility, and the unique ability to stick to walls. He even takes down the school bully, Flash, in a jaw-dropping cafeteria showdown. After a victorious but humbling experience, Uncle Ben delivers the iconic line, With great power comes great responsibility. This message to Peter falls on deaf ears, and the two part ways, unbeknownst to each of them, for good. Peter decides to test his new powers in a wrestling match against Bonesaw McGraw, a hulking pro wrestler. The Amazing Spider-Man! My name's the Human Spider. I don't care. I got you for three minutes! Three minutes of the time! After winning but getting stiffed by the promoter. I need that money. I missed the part where that's my problem. Peter lets a robber go. I missed the part where that's my problem. Only to find moments later that his beloved Uncle Ben was shot down in cold blood. And as Peter holds Uncle Ben's hand, his message from before finally becomes clear. And as our hero grows, so too does our villain. Enter Norman Osborn, an eccentric millionaire and father to Peter's best friend, Harry. Desperate to save his failing company, Norman tests a performance-enhancing serum on himself, transforming into the menacing Green Goblin. Back to formula. Now, donning the Spider-Man suit, Peter must stop Green Goblin's reign of terror, which threatens everything he holds dear. The stage is set for a showdown that's more intense than a double espresso, a battle that will leave only one standing and define a hero in the making. After years of anticipation and more false starts than a high school track meet, bringing Sam Raimi aboard meant the development machine for Spider-Man could finally kick into high gear. The stakes were high, not just for filmmakers, but for an entire genre that was still trying to find its footing in Hollywood. Casting was a critical element. Tobey Maguire, previously known for his roles in dramas, was an unconventional choice. His nuanced performances in films like The Cider House Rules and Wonder Boys showcased his range, making him ideal for a character as complex as Peter. Willem Dafoe, a powerhouse actor, was more than just a villain. He was a character actor capable of embodying the duality of Norman Osborn. And he was a man with a face born to play villains. Seriously, look at him. Dafoe's got the chops to make Norman Osborn more than just a cackling baddie. His roles in Platoon and The Shadow of the Vampire showed that he could be evil and complicated, like a Sudoku puzzle designed by Satan. His ability to navigate the complexities of morally ambiguous characters made him a perfect fit for the Green Goblin. In a unique endeavor to stay true to the comics, the production team experimented with an animatronic head for the Green Goblin. This animatronic mask was incredibly expressive, designed to capture the character's maniacal essence. However, it was ultimately deemed too frightening and impractical for action scenes, so they opted for something less likely to scar children for life, though I don't know if they really succeeded there. Okay. 
From the casting choices to the intricate set designs, each element was carefully considered to align with the vision for the film. Tobey Maguire, embodying the role of Spider-Man, underwent rigorous physical training and performed many of his own stunts. The production utilized Sony's sound stages for key sequences. Stage 29 transformed into Peter Parker's Forest Hills home, while Stage 27 hosted the wrestling match against Bonesaw McGraw, played by the late Randy Savage, who astonishingly refused a stunt double for a mid-flip and ended up injuring himself. Ah, the infamous upside-down kiss scene. Iconic? Yes. Romantic? Not so much. Imagine trying to kiss while waterboarding yourself. That was Tobey Maguire, at least as he explained it, hanging upside down, wondering why he signed up for this. On-location shoots added another layer of authenticity. The Natural History Museum served as the Columbia University lab. The Pacific Electricity Building became the Daily Bugle offices, and the Greystone Mansion was used for Norman Osborn's home interiors. Once the cameras stopped rolling, the monumental task of bringing Spider-Man to life in a groundbreaking way fell upon the shoulders of visual effects supervisor John Dykstra and his team. The technology that's available is, as we all know, uh, enormous. And I guess the challenge for the filmmaker is to use it in an effective fashion. And being part of a team such as this, I feel as uh, though I can't go wrong. Dykstra, who had met with Raimi during the filming of The Gift, convinced the director to pivot from traditional special effects to computer-generated imagery for stunts that defined laws of physics. The result? Visual effects shots that hold up to this day. Though it took the film's budget from an initial 70 million to around 100 million. Raimi and Dykstra envisioned Spider-Man's movements as a ballet in the sky, a complex choreography that required intricate CGI work. Moreover, the color schemes of Spider-Man and the Green Goblin presented a whole different layer of complexity. Each had to be shot separately against different colored screens to prevent one from being erased in the effects shots. While the visual effects were a technological marvel, the film's emotional core was amplified by its music. Composer Danny Elfman, who had spent a year in Africa studying its unique percussion, combined traditional orchestration with ethnic and electronic elements to create a score that was both heroic and haunting. It guides the audience's emotions, whether during the iconic upside-down kiss or the climactic showdown with the Green Goblin. As the release date for Spider-Man approached, the excitement was palpable. Trailers were making rounds, posters adorned city walls, and fans were eagerly counting down the days. The stage was set for what was expected to be a blockbuster hit. And then, the unthinkable happened. Jim, just a few moments ago, something uh, believed to be a plane crashed into the south tower of the World Trade Center. The world was shaken by an unthinkable event that changed America's social landscape forever. And while the city of New York was trying to learn how to heal, Sony Pictures and Marvel had to learn how to adapt. The New York City that was portrayed in the film was captured in a pre-9-11 world but it was released in a post 9-11 landscape where the city and the nation were still grappling with the aftermath. An early teaser trailer, which showed Spider-Man capturing a helicopter filled with criminals in a web spun between the twin towers, was immediately pulled from circulation. Posters that featured the towers reflected in Spider-Man's eyes were also recalled. Two poignant scenes were added to the film to resonate with the post 9-11 sentiment. The first shows a group of New Yorkers on the Queensboro Bridge, hurling objects at the Green Goblin and shouting, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us! The second scene features Spider-Man hanging onto a flagpole, with a large American flag billowing in the wind. New York City was in a state of vulnerability, a collective emotional rawness that was felt by all. In this context, the figure of Spider-Man, a hero who swings between the skyscrapers of Manhattan, who saves the day not with overwhelming force, but with courage and ingenuity, resonated deeply. Spider-Man became a symbol of resilience, the film's portrayal of New York City 
though unintentional, became a tribute to the indomitable spirit of its people. For many New Yorkers, and indeed for viewers around the world, Spider-Man offered a form of catharsis, a way to process the complex emotions stirred up by a real-world event through the lens of superhero storytelling. In the wake of 9-11, New York City and its people showed resilience and unity, qualities that were mirrored in their very own on-screen hero, Spider-Man. But the film's impact didn't stop at the limits of the Big Apple. Spider-Man swung into theaters and shattered records, not just in New York or the United States, but around the world. It became the first film to pass the $100 million mark in a single weekend. The world was caught in Spider-Man's web. The famous web-slinger makes his big screen debut this Friday with the help of some special effects, a little spandex, a touch of Spidey sense, and star Tobey Maguire. Spider-Man wasn't just another blockbuster. It was a global phenomenon that redefined what a superhero film could be. It showed us a hero who was as human as he was super, a relatable, flawed Peter Parker. Spider-Man was more than just a film. It was a cultural milestone that showed us that even in the darkest of times, heroes can and will emerge. As the final web-swinging scene of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man fades to black, what lingers is more than just a blockbuster. This film didn't just break box office records, it broke the mold, redefining the superhero genre with its complex characters and emotional depth. It's not just a movie, it's a manifesto on heroism, one that has left an indelible imprint on our collective imagination. To me, Spider-Man isn't just a flick, it's the origin story of my own geekdom. It taught me that heroism isn't just about the mask, it's about what's under it. I want to thank you for swinging by for this nostalgic trip down memory lane with Spider-Man. I'm curious, what is your all-time favorite moment from this iconic film? Let's get a web of conversation going in the comments below. Until our next adventure, catch you on the website. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pop Mythology, the podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Coe, and your support makes this all possible. For those of you who want to delve deeper, you can find video essays and exclusive content on our YouTube channel, Pop Mythology. Until we meet again, keep the myths alive and the stories flowing. Farewell.